Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, folks. Today on the podcast, we are thrilled to introduce you to the legend, Chris Nedza. Chris is a fellow ATLian who graduated from UGA and got his MBA from Emory. He has founded two businesses that we know of. Maybe we'll learn some, some more that he has along the way. And six months ago, right as COVID-19 was starting to take over the world, Chris's company, Zizor, that he started 10 years ago, was acquired by MindBody, the leader in business management software for health, wellness, and beauty industries. Since the acquisition, Chris has moved into a new role as the Director of Strategic Development for MindBody. We are pumped for today's episode because to date, Chris is our only founder who, on his way to the Inc. 5000 list, was acquired by another Inc. 5000 company, a seven-time Inc. 5000 company, actually. Chris, welcome to the show, buddy. We are excited to have you. Hey, man. I am honored to be here. Awesome. Well, man, this is unusual, but we were literally having a conversation right before we started recording that I think is intriguing. Uh, and we were talking about how Jordan and I are both marketing majors, yet we're bored out of our mind in the actual process of learning. Uh, and now that we are run a business, we're incredibly fascinated by it. And I just would love to hear your thoughts on that. Did you, did you see any gaps maybe in the traditional schooling, um, you know, engagement of learning and then you post college and, and beyond? Oh, yeah, man. I, and you guys don't know this um, because, but you're going to love it, um, about five or six years ago, one of my stops was I, uh, I got certified to be a high school teacher. Oh yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I was like gifted in teaching and all that kind of stuff, but this amazing principal at, at a, at a high school, South Gwinnett high school, um, in Atlanta. Yes. Outside of Atlanta. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the principal said, Hey, we have a gap between real world experience in the classroom. So I, literally would find businesses yes. and, and in fact i found a business my wife and i were eating at a restaurant and they had great service great food great location no customers mm. so so they allowed me to teach a marketing class bringing that founder in and our marketing project was dude we have to increase customer counts so i had a group yes. of high school students focused on Increasing customer counts and who better on social media than high school kids? So Heck, yeah, that's it. Oh, that that is that makes us jealous. I mean, what we yeah, what we were talking about right before was literally our experience of like, why was it so much memorization? We yeah. did one project at the very very end that would have been like, wait, this is what we've been getting ourselves into. Like, this is amazing. That was so, the only time in five years for me. It took me five years to graduate, Clemson. That was the only time in five years that I was actually in, like, uh, engaged in what we were learning. We got to pick a business. We had to do, you know, we're tracking the stats and all that kind of stuff, and it was coming alive right at the very tail end. And everything else, the four Ps, right? Profit, price, product, promotion, something like that. That yeah. was, like, all I could remember from my entire five years before that. Um, but, man, that is super intriguing. One, South Gwinnett is right down the road from where I grew up. I went to Parkview High School okay. in Gwinnett County. Right. So we played against them in sports and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, I know that area well. But you man, added a fifth P. The fifth P was a good one that you added. Profit was a good one. 
I don't think those are the four, but that's a good one. You know that that was the hardest concept to teach the students was profit. Hmm. What? Why is that? Um, because profit is you know total revenue minus total cost equals profit, right? Yeah. Um, and so I would use these examples of pizza. All right. Let's so let's say the pizza cost ten dollars for the customer, and you know you sold it for ten dollars. They would get it confused. It cost the customer ten dollars, but my production cost was four. You know, like yep. so it was a it was a bit of a confusing. I was shocked. I was like, but that makes sense. That it'll be difficult to understand. Yeah, they're both cost. Yeah, they're yeah. both cost. You know, so but anyway, that was that was most difficult concept. Is. That was profit. The more we know. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, man, let's dive into uh, at least the origin story of Zizor, which was. Uh, recently acquired we talked about it early march literally at the maybe the last second that that kind of deal could go through but back us up a little bit what was going on in your life before you right when you went to start that what kind of series of events led up to you starting that company and give us a little bit of the idea of the ride you went on yeah so the first company i started i sold and um and i was just kind of like it was a warehousing and distribution business and i had a lot of work in process kind of things um a lot of complicated uh, operations. Um, we had a couple hundred employees. We were in Boston, Atlanta, um, Kansas City. And the most frustrating thing about that business for me was I would get my financials at the end of the month, which was never exactly at the end of the month. I'd get the binder from the CFO about a month and a half after the end of the month. And mm -hmm. it was forensics to try to figure out how did we make this money or lose this money? You know, like we'd have to go back and reconstruct the body. Um, so I sold that company and my wife uh, was a franchisee and had a bunch of hair salons. So when I sold the company, I was a little too young to retire. So I was watching my wife, like every morning, her general manager would give her financial statements. She'd, she'd go online um, to the franchise organization, download the financials, upload them into Excel, format them, blah, blah, blah. And she would email them to my wife and they, they would start talking about the previous day's sales, and the previous day's, you know, uh, customer count and uh, payroll percentage, all of this information. And I was like, wow, that is super cool. It took me like months to get that information. She has it the next day. And mm -hmm. I realized that all that data was sitting on the point of sale system in real time, capturing data all day, every day. So I thought about it. I watched it. And I thought, well, this is silly. Why are we running reports? Why don't we build a data extraction tool and put it on my iPhone? Sort of like looking at my uh, stock, you know, like how's the yeah. stock market doing? Yeah, we're up, down, you know, whatever. So I uh, built Zizor uh, to do that exact function for our own salons. Now I will say this, um, th my story is a lot like other people's stories. You know, there's a guy that's walking down uh, a fence row um, and he sees a turtle on the top of a fence post and he doesn't know a lot, but one thing he knows is that turtle did not get there by himself. So like my story is one of, I have so many people that helped support me that were like incredible. So that, that totally, uh, it is not a Chris story, but there's a lot of other people involved, but that's how For we got sure. started. For sure. And so that's somewhat of a complicated, um, solution to a business problem right so where did you go from there did you have to get some software engineers did you already have a background in that like how did you create the thing that you had in your head was the solution well i understood what i wanted to do um and the funny thing is i could not find a software developer 
And I was literally going on Georgia Tech's campus, posting up, join the next Google, you know, and I'm yes. trying to find people like to, to hire. And I could not find anybody. And my brother-in-law, Ted Godwin, calls me up. He goes, hey, I saw your Facebook post. You know, I might be able to help you. <laughs> so my, my solution engineer, my very first partner in that was a developer, was my brother-in-law. And uh, it was great. That's he cool. So, yeah, there was a lot of uh, interesting God moments that happened as a result. For sure. Journey. Okay. So you're out there looking, doing the hard work of, of trying to recruit strangers and ends up being your brother-in-law was, <laughs> was right. right under your nose. Uh, what happens then? How do you, what's that first year maybe look like as a company? Um, we, we bootstrapped it. Uh, my first companies in, in any business I've, and I, during the journey, um, after I sold my first company, which was 2007, like I, I did some turnarounds. I ran a couple of other companies. Um, you know, I did all kinds of different things, became a high school teacher. So this journey isn't one where we started off and headed right down the path. We tried to bootstrap it because that's what I'd always done before was literally eat what you kill, go out there, organically grow and, you know, try to build your company. Technology is really hard to do that way. Uh, but I didn't know it at the time. So Basically, um, that's what we did. We just kind of bootstrapped it, built an application for our own hair salons, and then we sold our salons and somebody in the full service space saw it, hire, and his name is Brian Purdue. This is another wonderful extension of, of help that I got. He, uh, he knew about it, but he was in the full service space versus the franchise space. We were franchisees of, uh, of, of Great Clips. So um, this guy finds out about it, about this application, he sees it. He hires my wife as a consultant. He sees the application and he immediately wants to license the application. Wow. Because I wasn't really planning on building a, an app for the, you know, for the beauty space. What do I know about beauty? You know, I mean, if you see my face, you see I got a face for radio, but um, you know, <laughs> yes, but my, uh, but my wife totally understand the business. Anyway, um, he saw this application, asked if he could license it and we couldn't come to an agreement. And it wasn't that we were at odds and hard to deal with each other, but it was like, you know, I, I realized this was something pretty cool and maybe I didn't want to do it just for the beauty space. I wanted it. I saw that it could apply, you know, real time metrics and employee engagement metrics can apply to many different businesses. Mm -hmm. Anything that's got a point of sale system or an ERP collecting data, it could apply to. So he wanted to take it into beauty. Ultimately, we couldn't come into agreement. Um, and so we just decided that he would invest and we'd become partners. And so he invested and became an investor. Oh, money. He, just, he showed 10 people, influencers in the beauty space, really top notch, um, hair salons in the, you know, like hair salons that are doing 10, 20, 30 million a year. Like, you know, they're, they're decent revenue, right? He showed some of his, uh, his friends who were industry influencers and it sort of took off. That's wow. what happened. So did it stay somewhat in that, that beauty space uh, throughout its existence, or did you guys end up branching out into other sectors and industries? Well, at one point, I, uh, I became the CEO of a restaurant point-of-sale company. So we did integrate and test it out in the hospitality space. I learned a ton. That's another story about running that company. Um, ultimately, we decided and landed on, let's get really good at the beauty space, and then we can take it outside the beauty space. Yeah. So we tested it on a couple of different markets, but ultimately decided that let's let's get really deep. And we got a, we got acquired really by Vista Private Equity, 
and rolled under the mind body uh, umbrella. So we got we got taken out before we really got going. Gotcha. Well, man, it's clear you've got a an incredible entrepreneurial streak and business mind with all these different stories we could go into. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. So my question, just off the top, and maybe this is really easy top of mind, and maybe this is a challenging question, but what are some of the biggest maybe business philosophies that you feel like guide you that have had you be successful in multiple ventures? Yeah, I would say um, these were later in life lessons. And uh, the number one lesson I would say is gain wisdom and surround yourself with wise counsel. Mm. Um, and wise counsel doesn't necessarily mean smart people. Um, Cause I know plenty of smart people who are idiots, you know, aren't very wise. And I know a lot of wise people who aren't very smart, but, but honestly, this, I know this isn't a faith call, but I have a deep faith and I believe that, you know, honestly, that wisdom comes from God. So I surround myself with people who have godly wisdom. Mm. And one of the things I try to figure out is asking them, like, find out all the reasons why you should not be in a business. Like everybody will tell you your ideas are great. You know, oh, it's great. You're going to be, oh man, you ought to be on Shark Tank, right? Yeah, yeah. But find the people that'll tell you the 20 reasons why you shouldn't be in business. And if you can get to know quick, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. If you can't get to know, rock and roll, man, go for it. So surround yourself with wise counsel. That, that's probably number one. Number two is once you launch, know your metrics. Know what really the numbers that drive your business. Um, too many people sort of, and I, and I have fallen into this, um, honestly. You just kind of go one day, turns into a week, turns into a month, turns into right. crap. I got to look at my, I, already, I don't really need to look at the financials because I already know where I am. And, you're, and you really need to be, um, really understand your metrics. Whatever those metrics are, if you're in marketing, and by the way, marketing has specific metrics, figure it out. Um, is it number of Facebook, you know, whatever, likes or Twitter, follower, you know, whatever, whatever the yeah. metrics are, no metrics, plot and then plan your work and work your plan. Mm, yeah, and, that's uh, good. Those are probably three biggies that I would say. Um, and finally, I guess another one is relationships matter. So yeah. we always like they matter whether it's your customer or your coworker or whatever. I just always believe you never know how people come into your life and how they're going to impact you and um, or how you're going to impact them. And relationships matter, man. And this, if you live a transactional life, you know, like hey, I'm going to do an, a business with you and I get something from you, you get something from me. That's transactional. Um, I don't think it goes very far. I think relationships matter so much. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's just it's a huge, huge deal, man. Love that. So I want to go back to number one and just have you a chance to play like wise counsel. So audiences, hopefully, there's founders listening to this. There's executives. We have aspiring Inc. Five Thousand, um, you know, leaders. Hopefully, that they're they're going to be listening to this. So same thing. Like, what is the wise counsel that you would say? Like, hey, avoid this trap or or don't take. You know, people are going to be celebrating you in this way be wary of that celebration, you know, like don't, don't, don't read your own press clippings type thing. Like what were some of the things as you look through your own fast growth journey, you'd go, Oh, this actually seemed great, but I think it's a pothole, you know, well, fool's goal. Where's the fool's goal? That's a great question. There's a book that's out called, um, I believe it's called home run life. Yeah. It's a really, really good book. I recommend every person on this call go read the book. 
And basically, again, this is kind of a faith deal. And I, some of your audience is going to think I'm a nut. You know, I believe in the Easter Bunny and stuff like that. That's it. Maybe, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll just keep but, rolling. Whatever, man. I can tell you that this is the truth for me. And it, and it has absolutely never let me down. The world teaches us to run. You know, baseball has rules. You hit the ball, you run to first, you go to second, third, and then you come home and score. The world actually teaches us to run the bases backwards. Like, mm. it tells us to chase success first. And then once you grab success, it's like you want to build a monument to yourself, you know, mm. and then you leave a legacy. Um, when you chase success first, you, you leave out so many of relationships get damaged and you're focused on making money, making money, making money. And I believe you have to first make this decision. Do you believe that there's a creator? Do you believe in that Bible or whatever it is that you believe in? Like you got there. I, I don't have enough faith to think we came out of the primordial suit. Like, I just don't, man. Sure. I have zero faith in that. You know, I got a lot more faith that I, I have to have more faith that there's something greater than me. So I would say that first wise counsel thing is determine, honestly, whether you believe that Bible is the real thing or not. Written by camel jockeys or is it the truth? I chose to believe at one point in my life that that was the truth. It changed my life, changed everything about me. And, and, and it was, uh, I'll just give you one little scripture thing. Proverbs 3, 5. Now, Proverbs was written by King Solomon, who was the wisest man ever, right? Um, and, it, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And for me, I had all these like questions like, ah, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's a Bible thing. Like, what is that? There's many different ways to have it, all that kind of stuff. And when I landed on that one little proverb, it to me, it said, just, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to trust in the Lord, and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding and get it complicated. That was the first step of gaining wisdom is, is you got to make that decision. So. So good, man. I appreciate good, you man. sharing that. Yeah. We both come from, from faith background. So you're hitting home with that, um, <laughs> man. Let me, let me ask you this with, uh, all the companies you've started, you know, one of the things we geek out on is similar to when you said relationships matter. And we really think that matters at the point of customer, but also internally as well, right? Yeah. The, the people aren't cogs in a machine, but they are a dynamic part of success and the meaningful part of doing business. What has that been like for you in the companies that you've built? Where have people played a role? How has culture influenced that? You know, like, just tell me about that. Like, how have you, how have you approached uh, the people that work for you? Well, you know, I have some people that absolutely love me and I have some people that absolutely think I'm a fraud and I, I just going to lay it out there. Um, you know, you just, you can't control what people think. Sure. And um, so you kind of have to have, I believe a set of what do you need to recruit? What, like what people do you want to have? What are the characteristics of the people you have, you want around you? And I used to have, certain characteristics that I look for. I, I wanted people who were smart. I wanted people who were energetic because smarts without get up and go is worthless. Sure. Um, I need, I wanted them to have curious minds, you know, it's like be smart, be energetic, have a curious mind, hardworking. That's the fourth one and get results. You know, like those are smart, you know, like those were my core, but over time I realized I also needed to recruit people who were nice who are compassionate and who are forgiving, mm. you know, because the one thing that, that, that I will 
always make, I will make many mistakes. You will make many mistakes. You will sure. not be perfect father, friend, business owner, CEO. There's no such thing. And the only thing is I can guarantee that I've, I've really disappointed people, but I a thousand percent never did it intentionally. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. you have to surround yourself with people who, who understand what forgiveness is about and you have to extend it. Like it, people are going to make mistakes. Mm. And I always tell my people like, like, look, I don't care if you make a mistake, just don't do it on purpose and learn from it. You know, if you do it on purpose, yeah. you know, like we got an issue, like, yeah. but character, right? Eric, well, yeah. I mean, you know, right. Exactly. So yeah, that's so good. I thinking this made me think about one of the conversations we get into a lot is around delegation, right? Is the, the leader who's successful will hit capacity constraints and they will struggle with delegation or they won't struggle with delegation. But what it made me think about when you were talking about surrounding yourself is almost like the, the self-awareness to know your unique traits, right? Dan Solomon would call it unique abilities. Other people are going to call it your, your personality. There's tons of assessments out there that, that we love too. that can help you find out. But like for you, I love these traits in terms of I got to surround myself with these types of people and the mass general side, but like, give us the insight on you personally. Like, what did you learn about yourself that you wanted to keep that were like your unique things? And then what did you want to delegate? Cause I got kind of a second part question thinking about like, Hey, you chose to be the person who sells businesses in multiple times versus continuing to build. But I want to start with like, Hey, what did you find that was unique about you? And what did you learn about what things you need to delegate off your plate along the way? Yeah, well, one thing I learned about me is I uh, some people are control freaks and some people are like the other end of the spectrum. I'm the other end of the spectrum. Like, you know, like, go. You, you got it. If you say you got yeah. it, I totally believe you. You got it. Go. Yeah. Um, and, and that's actually good in some respects, but in others, it's not. And I think one thing I've learned is is it's really good to delegate, but it is a bad idea not to communicate and touch base with your people regularly. I love this notion mm. of objectives and key results. And if you sit down with your, your direct report and you sit down with them and you ask them what, what are their objectives and how are we gonna measure that? And there's only gonna be, well, whatever, five or six or seven big things, right? Um, you have to you have to define that and you have to check in on a regular basis and uh I, and i really learned honestly i've learned a lot of that by being a cog in the machine uh by being acquired you know like i i'm like golly i love when i talk to my uh, my boss <laughs> i got a boss it's awesome um i love talking to him <laughs> and, and i want to know like am i meeting your object am i meeting your expectations and if I don't, we don't ever talk. And that's probably one of my biggest downfalls is I, I tended to just go like, hey, everybody got it? Everybody good? Okay, cool. And then I dive into getting my stuff going, you know? So, yeah. Silence was agreement. Like, we must all be in alignment. It's, just, it's silence. Yeah. yeah. Anybody need anything for me? No. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, like, I'm on. Yeah. I'm, I'm going on. So I would say I probably moved too fast, moved too fast. And I would I would give advice that sitting down and just spending intentionality, intentionally going over, even though you think they know and they think they know and you think you both know, it's really a good idea to spend time with your people um, going over their objectives and their key results. It, it just, it's just a solid t- uh, practice. That's so helpful. You're on that end of the spectrum, right? To see it as a spectrum, right? Where we said, 
initially a lot of people on this end of the spectrum where they have a hard time giving up control. You're probably more similar to me where I, I, I'm the same way, man. Just trusting, like, you got it? Awesome. Go, go for it, right? Right. The mistake on that end, like you're saying, could be not actually being in, as engaged as maybe you need to be, whether in accountability or in, in communication, that kind of thing. So your errors on that side of the spectrum, right? Yeah, and I think as a founder, I, I don't think our CEO, I don't think we, we appreciate how much we matter to our own people. Like we matter, we're important to our people. And I don't mean that in an arrogant kind of narcissistic way. Um, I mean, it totally like we, we got to check in, you know? Um, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, so. Yeah, so with that, that's kind of second piece of my question, thinking about like, hey, did you build the business you sold in 2007? Did you know you were planning on selling it? You know, the, the this business, was it always built with that intention? Because that's different with the people that we're interviewing. Some people like, they didn't even know they meant to build a business. They just kind of stumbled into it and they're like, now I'm building it. And that's just kind of their thing. They're okay being, they're okay being, a role inside of that business too, you know, right? Like some people don't even plan on having a functional role in the business. They're really planning on like, I am just buying the business. Like that business needs to run itself. So for you, uh, was it, was it something that you knew intentionally? Like at some point I'll have an exit strategy or was it something that kind of revealed itself over the years of like, you know, I think this is best if I move to this next thing. Hey, if I find this sales opportunity, I'm going to end up loving having a, a boss and having that, OKR conversation and all that, like, how did, did you know, or was it something that just kind of revealed itself over time? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I didn't really know. I, I, we had investors, but most of them were, you know, like, we didn't have institutional investors. They were smart, you know, they were smart people, but they weren't, you know, what they call the smart money. Um, and so they all understood that nobody said, hey, my exit, you know, we're, we're investing to exit. They're all like, we're, we're investing to make money. So they were okay if we hung on and generated cash and they got dividend distributions and we built a big company and they were all also okay uh, if we sold. I treated, even though I was the majority shareholder, I treated all of them as if they were equal shareholders. And when the offers started coming and people would call me, I would, I would put it up to them. Even though I, could, I had veto power to do whatever I wanted, I put it up to them to say, okay, guys, we're partners in this. You know, do we want to take this offer? Do we want to move on? Do we want to like keep going? So I don't think that's a that's a straightforward answer because I've really had I could have gone either way. It didn't matter to me. Um, yeah, it didn't matter. Cool. Uh, yeah, that level of indifference is is pretty cool. They uh, to hop into just a story. This has come up on a few podcasts, at least in my mind. I don't even know if I've ever mentioned it on one, but. Uh, one of the best books I've, I've read was a book called Heroic Leadership, and it's the story uh, of like the Jesuits' uh, ability through through missions. And it's written by a, uh, a former, I think he, a Catholic gentleman, I'm trying to remember his name, but he, he had worked at Goldman Sachs and just was so amazed at these the Jesuits and how they went about their business. Because they eventually become this like big, influential, like education monster, right? Like they start putting in universities in these education hubs all over the world. It's just this fascinating thing of even how he was talking about, he ends up kind of sharing how he thinks that some of that was their downfall is they finally had something to lose once they became the best in education. It was actually their level of indifference towards outcomes that drove their mission for 400 years. They were the, they were the first successful missionaries going to, to China, mainly because they didn't try to force, you. everybody needs to, it's like, no, they actually just went over there 
they learned Chinese and they taught them how to, how to navigate the stars and understand that. And they just added value to them. And that was the thing that gave them kind of acceptance. And so they started to, to build out their mission in that manner. But what they talked about how they train their people was this idea of indifference, like open handedness of you can't if, if you get, you know, terribly treated or if you get positive, you know, outcomes, either one, you're going to hold it open handed and you're going to have that level of indifference. And I hear that even in your own maybe just natural abilities of like, yeah, I was just kind of building it and either outcome was going to be OK with me. And we've, we've interviewed a few people that just talked about like, hey, release the outcome as part of their business strategy, part of their building strategy, uh, which is just, is, is interesting to hear. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, it kind of goes back to that wisdom piece, you know, like uh, it just, I had wise counsel and, and I just would have, I just would put it out there and we would discuss it. You know, if you, yeah, I was, you know, the little saying, if you, if you, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> so that totally true for me, man. So, yeah. yeah. Well, man, I'm curious on the personal side, uh, a few things, because everybody's ride, like I like to think about like going on a ride, you know, you're, you're in the captain's chair of this incredible emotional roller coaster that we call owning a business. Yep. It's different for everybody, what they love the most, what's the most stressful to them. I want to start with, man, what was the most challenging part for you, maybe personally, uh, as a business owner? What was that? What was that like for you? Well, my first company that I had, um, uh, it, it was it, printing was a part of our business. So uh, one day, uh, you, you know, I didn't know how to run a, pr a printing press at all. And one day I, I committed to getting a job done and the journeyman who would come at night and run the printing presses, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, second job one night, he didn't show up. And that night I stayed all night long. I figured if he could do it, I could learn it too. And I learned mm. how to run a printing press. And I was never held hostage again in that business. Software is a different animal. And that is, I, I knew enough about coding to know what is possible, but I didn't know enough to code. And that is the thing that was the most difficult is it was very difficult to understand whether the developers were actually knew what they were doing and were going to execute on it or whether they were just blowing smoke up my skirt. Mm. That was that was really really hard. So it's a little bit of that um, industry IQ gap in a sense, not necessarily IQ, but industry knowledge gap that made it hard to know whether you're getting sold a bill of goods, you know, yeah. or or not. Yeah, software developers are great. Um, my my by, by the way, my brother-in-law was wonderful. You know, like he was great. Eventually, he left um, because we couldn't pay him enough, and he had you know like a little girl on the way, so he had to go get a developer's job, but. And I had a lot of really great people, but I couldn't tell whether they were headed down the right path, whether they're headed down the wrong path, whether the, it. it was efficient, whether it wasn't efficient. I couldn't tell, you know, mm. and if you asked every one of them, they would, I swear they would, you would think that they were the smartest person, that they was exactly rock solid, but yet they would be missing due dates and deliverables and were burning through cash. So that was, that was a very, if you're in a business, you either have enough money to hire the very best. This bootstrapping in software doesn't work, or you learn how to be a developer so that you know. Wow. I can totally yeah, see that's that. Bomb. It makes me think about Elon Musk and all the people that talk about one of the unique things about him is the fact that he's at he's least on par. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's a, he's at least on par with whoever his best people are. They say something, he knows whether it makes sense or not. You know, he's got that background 
where he'll, he'll be like, oh, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, man. So what was your, what's your favorite part of being uh, a founder, business owner that what's your favorite part of that? What's the most gratifying to you? Um, you know, it's, it's that whole, um, idea that, that you can make somebody's, um, you can make a difference in their life. And I know that sounds a little, you know, whatever, but it's so true. You know, just, you never know what people are going through. You know, there's people who, you know, everybody looks at, they're at work, right? You're supposed to check your, your problems at the door and come to work and go to work and be smart and energetic and curious, hardworking. But what do you do with that? Um, the fact that they've just been diagnosed with cancer or COVID or they've lost a parent or they're going through a divorce. And, you know, I, I think my favorite thing is to, to be intentional about just being kind to people and just, just, just being kind. I think that's my favorite thing about anything, really. It's just mm. being kind. You never know what people are going through. And just a smile, a word of encouragement can make, can make the difference, you know? It really can. Heck, yeah. Yeah, you get to create your own little world, don't you? That's the fun part about a company is, is not like in an egocentric, godlike manner, but you do get to shape a culture. You do get to shape a, an environment that people are showing up in that can be incredibly positive or incredibly painful, right? And I think that's the... That's the, both the responsibility and it's the excitement, maybe the gratification of getting to create those places. Yeah, so Zizor, um, the application actually takes data from a point of sale system. So I can see in real time who is having a good day by the numbers, who's selling mm -hmm. the products, who's doing, doing the most haircuts, who has the most high, you know, the highest sales, who has the best retention, who has the best, you know, they could be four or five different people. And within seconds, I can just say to someone, Hey Drew, do you realize that you're you're doing better than everybody else on haircuts today? Or <laughs> Jordan, do you realize that you were number one in product sales? Like, way to go, wow. man! And that yeah. whole idea—the most important words I think your people can need to hear from you as a CEO: "I see you, I notice you, and I appreciate you." Wow! Yeah, yeah that's that, so good. Uh, you may end up just repeating your answer because of the question that I had in my mind teeing you up. But you may just go, "Yeah, it's pretty much this." I was thinking about that engagement piece, like, hey, you uniquely use data to engage your people. And that's something that we're really passionate about around this topic of talent optimization. But I was thinking about, hey, what secrets would you have around helping people or even helping a company culture become more productive? Like, how do you, how do you help them actually increase their productivity? Like, what secrets or tips would you say, uh, like, hey, here's something? Yeah, I mean, um, it's really simple. It, it, yeah. Not for every business. But if you have good metrics and you have a, a data source that you can capture the metrics quickly, you know, and, and for my, in my world, it's the point of sale system. I mean, it has, it has your, everything about your business except for your operating expenses, you know, your rent, your, your utility. Yeah. As a leader of your company, you can see, like you can establish, these are the main metrics that we, that are important to us. These are the four or five main metrics. And then you can use your, your tools to catch people doing the right behavior. Mm. That is way better than looking at a report, seeing somebody who's not performing and trying to correct their behavior. Yeah. yeah. That's how you engage people. You know, it's like annual reviews suck. I don't even, I don't even know if they do annual reviews anymore, but they suck, you know? It, it's like- <laughs> People man, did them and they found out that they suck. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> they've been doing it for years, right? These big yeah. companies are guaranteed- the CYA. It's, it's, hey man, 
Drew, you, you're doing so good in this and so good in that, so good in this, but your area of improvement is this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And that sounds really kind of nice, but the person who receives that review hates it. They never come out of there feeling good. Mm. All they really, and so review only comes out to be, um, you know, really, uh, am I going to get a raise? Yeah. <laughs> am I still have my job? All that other yeah. crap, who cares about? It's sort of like when you, if you're married and you make a mistake and you apologize to your wife and you say, honey, I'm really sorry that I was a jerk yesterday. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you shouldn't have said, you know, like they forget everything before that but. And that's what yeah. reviews are. So this whole notion of identifying the key metrics and catching your people doing those metrics, like constantly giving them feedback and positive, like, I see mm. you did this, you did it, I knew you'd do it. It's just, yeah. just as engaging as you, I mean, that's the most engaging thing that you can do. Man, yeah, the, uh, just a little bit of my own experience. So I have some experience uh, running Chick-fil-A restaurant back in the day. And so quick shout out to Adam Edwards and Eric Smith. Here we go. But, uh, our our franchise, the year that we we really put on this project, we ended up winning a profitability um, profitability award, and it was all focused around labor costs and food costs. And the way that we did it was using the PO the POS, and and being able to actually pull that data live, and then to to lead off of that. So it was using the metrics, but I was thinking, as you're saying, the thing that made it pop in my mind is, gosh. Adam and Eric were the right people to be handed those metrics to actually inspire their people, not burn them out. And I'm like, because just browbeating people with metrics is like, a lot of people are like, they hear the metrics and they're like, that's exactly what I've been saying. Why aren't these people listening to the numbers? And it's like, hey, there's something that precedes that. Are you even a person that can be equipped with the metrics to deliver inspiration instead of like, I never want to work for this person? Because that's, I think it's 80 plus percent of people are going to disengage from their job because of the manager, right? And so yeah. the manager being equipped with, with metrics is huge, but actually they got to be a person who can do it. And so some of it actually is like, hey, if they're this type of person, if they're nice, compassionate, forgiving, like you mentioned earlier, like that's going to do it. But anything that you saw in terms of like, hey, how do you equip the managers even in, in selection or keeping them engaged? Um, anything that you did on that, on that side of things to make sure that they're actually the person who can deliver results using the metrics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that we built was a, a, um, something we called click analytics. So we tracked every time everybody in the organization clicks on the app and what they're looking at. So if you have a, a location that is underperforming, most of the time, it's because they aren't really looking at the numbers. Mm. Like, how yeah. can you tell somebody's looking at a POS report? Yeah. You can't. Yeah, I mean, you can print it out. You can give it to them all day long, but it doesn't mean they're actually reading it, looking at it. Yeah. But we literally were time stamping and, and calculating and just like literally, you're on it eight times and you're looking at this person and you sent them a, within our app, you could actually send a text message. Cool. They're like, hey, you're, you're kicking butt on, on this. So your Chick-fil-A example, I've, I've always wanted to work with Chick-fil-A because I think they're really good, but they, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that you know, they know which person on the, at the register is the best at order accuracy compared to everybody else that right. day yeah. Chick-fil-A. We didn't back then. That was, you know, 09. We didn't back then. Um, so, so if they have it now, I want to know is the CEO's Dan Cathy taking a few minutes a day and just 
send a little message out to the person who yeah. is the number one person in order accuracy or whatever the metrics are, right? Yeah. Now, imagine you're the CEO and you could do that. Like oh, that would man. be super cool, right? Imagine you're the frontline worker and you get that message. Oh, Change your life, honestly. Yeah, it's life-changing. So that's what I'm talking about with, you mm. know, using the metrics and connecting. And that's Awesome. I love that, man. We definitely geek out on this. You know, we added to our business a capability for our coaching uh, to be able to look at behavioral data analytics for businesses. Just the same thing, almost like Moneyball for business. Like you give yourself so much more of a competitive edge and accuracy if, if you know how to use it, right? That's the, that's the big if. Yep. But if you know how to use it to call out the best in people and to see, to see those things improve, you know, you cultivate what you celebrate, right? I'm learning this even in, in my kids. I have three young kids that if all I'm looking at is for everything they do wrong, those things seem to grow, right? It's like your attention is a force multiplier. And so you don't realize you're accidentally, you're ac accidentally giving a whole lot of attention to negative behavior and it seems to grow. Yeah. Versus you still deal with negative behavior, but when you put a lot of attention on the things you love, the time they, they were respectful, the time that they help, like my, for right now it's my, my oldest, my daughter, I have two daughters, my oldest, every time she's a really great big sister to her sister and brother, man, I'm just making sure I capture that, right? Like, uh, thank you, and pulling her aside, like, wow, that was a great big sister. And I'm noticing that is a force multiplier, right? And we're seeing the same thing in business, that what you put your attention on, and you regularly give attention to and credibility to whatever makes it, makes it grow, right? But what I'm also interested in is something that Jordan and I have been kicking around for a while is just this idea of gamification, right? Like I, I noticed that in our, in our pre kind of uh, research on you guys. And I want to know how you guys were using gamification in your, in your data and in your performance metrics and that kind of stuff. I'm just, that, that's a really curious frontier for me. Oh man. Uh, so I built a little model called clarity coach connect check. So clarity is define your, your five, four, five, six, whatever they are, key performance indicators. Okay. So define those. So, then you coach around those and you, um, you run contests. So we built a contest um, management tool within the application. So you can literally run a contest in the entire organization. And, but we did it differently. We didn't do a, hey, if you sell the most this and the most of that, you get you know, first, second, third prize. We, we could do that, but we literally built a lottery system hmm. so that if you sold five, you got a lottery ticket, you know? If you sold 10, you got a lottery ticket. If you sold 100, you could get 100 lottery tickets, you know? Right. And then it was basically, it's like essentially the behavior that you do, write your name on a piece of paper and stick it in a fishbowl at the end of the month or the end of the contest period, draw the winner. The more times you do that behavior, the more chances that you have to, you know, to win, right? Yeah. It's a lottery. So, so if you're doing that, we built that in this application and literally we just would t coach our customers. All you have to do is when the worst employee that you think is the worst employee gets a couple lottery tickets, catch them and go, man, you did it. I mean, I can't wait to. And by the way, one of the best prizes that we would tell people to give is not money or trips or anything like that. One of the best prizes was acts of service. So huh. whoever won. Like I would be your, your assistant for the day in the hair salon business. That would mean, you know, as the owner, I would come in and I would 
you know, sweep up the hair. I would fold the towels. I would make you lunch. I would wash your car. You know, wow. I, I would serve you, you know, like I would make, a, as they say in the South, a big fuss, you know? Yeah. And, and just using Man. the app to sit there. And I'm not trying to sell the app. This isn't about the app. Yeah. I sold the company. <laughs> I get bupkis. It's not about the app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's about engagement and using yes. education, using these technologies to, you know, technology can make a big company feel small. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the idea. That's it. Yeah. The Dream Manager is an incredible book. And uh, it, it talks about the story, kind of based on a true story of this janitorial company essentially hiring a position called the dream manager because what they found as they started to ask their employees like what their dreams were that they actually weren't just giving them raises or anything that these people had uh, basic dreams that were different than the business owners or the executives dreams like the executives had these retirement dreams and these go like these people they're like i, I kind of want reliable transportation to work i love you man i i love that because game <laughs> we built this whole system of goal setting within the app as well yeah and and i coached people on don't you know like the goal would not be sell so much x y and z or sell much, you know but you would literally sit with the employee and say what's your goal yeah mm. maybe your goal was i want to move out of the house and get an apartment or i want to buy a house or i want to you know buy a yep. car i just want to go on vacation or i want to get engaged or you know whatever so i agree yeah. with that whole dream what's your dream what's your goal based on our compensation like, here's what you need to be able to do to get there. And mm, yeah. that becomes your goal, not, you know, in order for us to meet our quarterly results, blah, 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 yada, yada. Yes. You know? Yeah. Which is a complete game changer when you start attacking retention and the turnover that you might be experiencing. I mean, that's the whole story of this book is they, you know, the guy ends up just changing the company and its profitability because he starts targeting people's actual dreams instead of just thinking, you just need to throw money at them. And uh, you know, there is some, some good research too on like, Hey, money does contribute to people's happiness up till about $80,000. I think I've said that on a past one, like up to that, like it does actually play a contributing factor, but there's so much more P people typically have bigger dreams than that. And being able to tap into that stuff is huge. You don't have to not pay people, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> you can still pay them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just think a little bit more creatively. Yeah. That's great. Well, I do want to ask about that because so we, we work with this amazing company, uh, fast-growing company that we've been with for several years as, as a company that we, can, we consult and coach for. And they, they typically love the prize route, you know, they love, and, and people like it too. They, they really do. But what we keep seeing is what you'd probably expect, which is a, a heavy reliance on extrinsic motivators, which aren't bad, but they're just short-lived in their impact, Right. And then a lot of question marks around how do I engage people on intrinsic motivators, you know? And so I'm curious with you guys, did you see that interplay at all? And, and was the acts of service your attempt to get to more of the touching the internal things that would cause somebody to feel more belonging and want to engage? Like, how did you, how did you use this whole, you know, data, uh, point of sale uh, metrics and those kinds of things to really get at that intrinsic motivators that are more long lasting? Yeah, no, that's a great question because I have my experience is if you, is every performance is met with a dollar, then they won't do anything unless there's a dollar that motivates them, right? Mm -hmm. And then that can cause animosity. It's like, look, what isn't your paycheck, your benefits, all that stuff? Isn't that good enough? You know, like seriously. Um, but I learned a lot because my wife Cindy it, was an amazing. She was so good at recognition of people, 
And so she would do like unbelievable things for her people, but they were, they were things that mattered to them. It wasn't motivational in terms of money, but yeah. it was like, like if there was um, an employee who had a, you know, like something, she would notice something special about them. And then in their quarterly meetings would buy them dollar gifts, like a dollar gift. Like, like I remember this one time, maybe it was more than a dollar, but it wasn't much more, but somebody was always on time. So she bought him a big flavor flavor clock. Yes. You know, just like in front of everybody would talk about that person and somebody else had some, something else going on. She just, she was so good at identifying and knowing, being intentional about knowing what your love language of, of your employees with, of her team. She had 500 people, you know, mm. and she didn't do it for all 500, but she did it for a lot of them. And a lot of times it was this whole acts of service is really, you know, find out that, that, that um, acts of service is a love language for a lot of people. For sure. So you have to get out of your ivory tower and actually think about acts of service for your, for your people. It's, it's not easy. Man, it's man. like dating. It's like dating your husband or your wife. After about 20 <laughs> years, you got to get creative. <laughs> like, get mm-hmm. out there, you know? Well, it's just interesting, too, because it feels like your natural, maybe way people would think about it, is it sounds like those would be kind of icing, not cake, right? Like, yeah, it'd be over and above if you, if you did something like be your assistant for the day or notice somebody and give them this. And it's almost like soft skills, right? For a while, soft skills were considered like, is this really important or not for, you know, to teach communication or psychological safety or self-awareness? And now we're realizing it's critical to, to a company success. It sounds like the same is true for what you're experiencing, which is like, man, this isn't the extra, you know, the icing on the cake that we do. It ended up being maybe a huge performance driver for you guys were all those little touches and acts of service. Is that, is that true? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's powerful. Like it, it shows that they matter to you. Like I yeah. know something about you. I researched you enough to know something about you. And I mean, it's in, it's an act of intentionality. You know, mm. being intentional is not easy to do. You know, but yes. you do it. It. Mm. I mean, like you, they matter to you. Like they make you all your money. Yes. You know, like you don't make as a CEO, you don't make the company anything. Really. Yeah. Your people make you the money. So Man. learn about them, you know, and be intentional about it. It, it takes energy. It takes time. But I think, you know, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, that is. There's a the philosophy. Vern Harness talks about it in his book, Scaling Up. But just this idea of if I had a chance to pay above market and have fewer people or pay below market and have more people, I want to pay above above market and have fewer people. I want to get the highest quality people possible. Because their capacity will outshine these. And I, I think it's just interesting thinking about, hey, could somebody actually think about, man, what is my pay philosophy? Like a lot of people have that pay at market or even pay below market thinking that they're like getting a deal on people. It's like, don't get a deal on people, get a deal on a product. You know, a deal on a person is, is pay that at or above market. And too many businesses, I mean, even like, honestly, my my personal perspective on Christian businesses in a lot of ways, the ones I've met, it's like, you end up getting into it and they're all around this mission and you realize you guys are paying below market for these people. Like, yep. what is this, this is about, this is actually, this isn't the culture that you want to create. Cause there's actually this whole hidden underbelly of people undervaluing their own talents and your inability to, to get there. And they're suffering. 
But you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I will say this: we underpaid people. Uh, yeah. In in a lot of instances, um, but we also created a, um, a an exit bonus. You know. Plan. Yeah. So there was you know there was some skin in the game coming out. Um, yeah. You know so. You know, but sometimes it's like, look, man. I, I mean, I can't tell you we're going to be a billion-dollar company, but we're going to we're going to give it our all. And yeah. I will say this also: I never made more than the, the lowest person. Like, if if they weren't getting paid, like there were many years where I didn't pay myself anything. Yeah, yeah. And if there That's, was a bonus to be given, they got it first. If there was extra cash, they got it first. Yeah. I think that is that just that spirit of generosity, right? And, totally. Uh, I, I did all I could do. But like I said, man, you'll, you can go in there and you'll find people that are go, man, that Chris guy was a jerk. I mean, yeah. You know, but that's you know, it. You gotta, every, yeah, you gotta live with that. When you're in the seat that you're in, the founder of the business, the CEO of the business, like that is that is part of the hand to be dealt. Yeah, you just got to do your very best, and uh, there's, you know, it's it's uh, it'll work out great. I don't think I've met. I don't think I've met a person in this life who's doing something like actually doing something right. Putting energy, heart, soul into it that didn't also come with criticism. You just can't, it's a, it's that, it's that Roosevelt quote, right? Like it's those gladiators in arena, in the arena, right. And everybody yep. else in the cheap sheet, cheap, cheap seats are, are throwing haymakers at you, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a business leader or whatever. So um, it, to me, it signifies that you were doing things, you were doing bold things, you are doing courageous things, and sure, you, I'm sure some of the criticisms are valid, and some are not warranted. It's just like being a parent, man. <laughs> my own kids. Yeah. My right. own kids. My seven-year-old's starting to criticize my parenting, and I'm like, holy cow, how are you already criticizing me, right? But I'm the decision maker. Every time, well, anytime you're the decision maker. But it's a, you know what? Um, we all have blind spots, and you know, I mean, that's why again, I lean into that wise counsel. You may, I had blind spots at times and one of my wise counselors was my wife and she would say, Hey, I, I need to tell you that, you know, you're really falling short in this one area, you know, and you have a choice. You can either be humble about it and go, crap, I don't want to be like that and change, or you could be a stubborn, you know, uh, narcissist and just say, well, like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm the man. So tough. So I choose, I chose to, I choose to try to be better at every time I can. Well, let's, let's dive into, um, we're getting towards end of, of time together. I'm really curious at what your life looks like now. You know, where, where, what are you up to now? And where do you see yourself going? And just give, it, give us a picture of that right now. Yeah, so um, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm part of MindBody. They, um, they, part of our deal was that uh, they required that I stay for two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, my title is officially Director of Strategic Development, and uh, thought leadership is is what I'm focused on. So I take they're they're really wonderful people, man. I love the team that I have over there, and I literally have zero people reporting to me. So I'm li- I'm living just the dream. <laughs> you know, yes, like, it's the yeah. dream. And but they have people to do things. So um, I spend a lot of time doing interviews, a lot of time. Um, kind of coming up with best practices and how do we use the data to inspire the right behavior, how to, uh, you know, for our customers. And I, and I spread that information um, into the mind, body, culture, and business as much as possible. Um, and so I love that. I, I, you know, that's, that's my full-time gig. Um, I also am an EIR with, with Georgia Tech, uh, with the ATDC, which is the Atlanta Tech Development Center. 
And yeah. EPR is an entrepreneur in residence. So I mentor technology companies, um, a lot of startups that are going to go, you know, they, they need somebody who has started something, raised money, built it up and sold it. And I've done that a few times. And so I have the joy of mentoring and coaching and walking shoulder to shoulder with a lot of my, a lot of technology companies. And I love that's that. A, yes. That's amazing, man. What a great use of your time. Um, what would be one thing that you find yourself most consistently saying to those, to those people you're now getting to speak into a mentor? Uh, know your metrics. Mm. Know your metrics. That's <laughs> like, that's the bomb and understand them, you know? Um, yeah, I have this really cool company called Press App, uh, uh, Press Sports App, and we were looking at our metrics, and it's uh, it's sort of like where high school athletes and college athletes can post their uh, highlight videos, right? So you could do it on YouTube, but it's not really a good community. So they have this cool app, and and they were their usage, the number of users was just growing like crazy. But the metric that was most impressive was the number of top 150 athletes, you know, rank, ranked high school athletes. So there was like 95% of them are on this app. That's a different wow. metric than number of users. So then the met, so their metrics became how many of those guys, men and women are on that? How often are they posting? What's their engagement? Mm. It's different than how many people are on this app, you know? So know your metrics. Love it. One more question. We typically ask this, this question before the lightning round in terms of the company they're currently leading. Uh, so it's going to be a little different for you having just uh, soldiers and being in a different role now. But if you look back at your time with Zizor, what was like the most consistent problem that you guys were facing as a business and how did you guys go about solving it? We, we were undercapitalized from day one. I mean, we were. Like I said, I, I think Understanding now, if you're going to get into the technology game, you better you better either know how to code uh, so that you can be lean and mean, or you better have enough money and raise enough capital that you can go into it. And I totally um, underestimated the importance of marketing. Mm. How so? Um, we 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 did good ground marketing, but we didn't do like we didn't do a lot of the stuff. We didn't put enough. Um, money and resources into marketing through the industry. We could have done mm. a lot better job of that. So, yeah. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, man. That is great. Um, man, we got a lightning round for you. Lightning round, five questions. Just your quick thoughts of, of you know, what comes to mind. Five questions. Um, so, you ready for the lightning round? I don't know. <laughs> We're going to find out. Uh, here we go. Number one. If you could ingrain one message into an organization, what would it be? Wow. One message, ingrain one thing. Um, live you, can't, you can't say know your metrics. That's exactly no, right. You already used that one. It's what, what is it though? Live intentionally. Live intentionally. Boom. I love that, man. That's great. Um, yes. Number two, what is the single best advice you ever got about growing your business and what's the worst? Uh, the single best is find, and you said a little bit of this, find the, the area of giftedness of people and help them accomplish that. Help, help mm. them do that. And nice. the first advice I ever got was quit. Wow. Yes. yes. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Quitting's not an option. Failure can be an option, but quitting's not. 
Yeah. Uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, number three, being completely honest. What's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? Um, I really, I don't have any fear. I mean, you know, like I'm on, I'm on the other end of this thing, man. I'm living it. <laughs> feeling great. I know all your fears have been erased. But I, I, really didn't, I didn't really have much fear. You know, it was like the biggest challenge was knowing the code base and all that stuff I talk about. But yeah. honestly, um, I don't, I, I, I really don't worry. I don't, you know, again, yeah. it's a biblical thing. It's not sort of, it is a biblical thing. Yeah. Worrying anything that anything. consistently, like consistently gnaws at you or comes up, like when you're not being intentional to not worry and to actually rest in faith, like, is there a, anything that tends to show up when you're like, oh man, this is, this is my stress. Probably, um, am I, am I doing enough? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think every person on this call would agree that they tend to put 10 pounds in a two pound bag. And as soon as you're, and if you've lived like that, as soon as it gets down to like six pounds, you know, like, yeah, should I be doing some more? Should I do more? You know? Yeah, man, that is, that is good. Uh, I think that's good for entrepreneurs to hear that they might need to attack that feeling too. Um, number four, what's the dream result that you're driving towards every day? So I love people. Um, I don't know why people are brought into my path or vice versa. Um, and I want to help them. I want to make a difference. Uh, I, I have great faith in people and there's a huge difference between, um, carrying their load versus carrying their burden. You know, like people are capable, they can do it. I'm not there to carry their load. But people also struggle, and sometimes they need you to help and to hear and to listen. Um, and I have a lot of faith in people. And and there's a ton of people out there with their odds that like are doing amazing things when the odds are stacked against them. And I would encourage every single person on this call or hopefully on this podcast, anybody listening to this thing, go to iTalks Arquavius Crane. iTalk Arquavius Crane. And That's a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. If anybody's listening, we'll have it in the show notes. Click on it. It goes by Q. And uh, if, if you don't, if you aren't inspired by that person, then you have something wrong with you, man. So I love that. <laughs> nice. And, and I spend time with him. So that's it, man. That's nice. my like, I love to work with people. I love to help people. And um, yeah. 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 Carry their burdens with them. They, they got to carry their load. That's their backpack, right? We love that one. Yeah. Uh, number five, man. Here's the fifth one. If you could hop in a DeLorean, you're going to go back for five seconds to your past. You get to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window. When would you go back and what would you say? I'd go back day one and I'd say, learn to code. Learn to yes. code. Day onesies are learn to code. <laughs> or just day one of, of earth, right? Day one of birth. Yeah. Oh gosh. I'll day, uh, yeah. Oh God. That's even a better one. I'm sorry. That was stupid. Yeah, I go back to uh, I go date back to Earth and or yeah, birth, and I'd say, man, um, live like understand uh, who your who your source is, understand God, and and follow yeah. live a biblical life. Like yeah. you yeah. cannot, you will not go wrong. Like I That's I have cool. made like I have, I just will say this: I have stellar judgment, and that comes from experience which comes from really crappy judgment. So like, man, if I, if I had followed the Bible day one, you know, the stuff that I, that the wisdom in that book, oh man, man, I should have done that. Dude, appreciate your faith, man. That is, uh, that is awesome. You were done with the lightning round, man. You made it. 
Thank you, brothers. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. It's obvious why you're spending time with the Atlanta tech scene, uh, investing in them. You have so much wisdom. You have so much character, uh, quality, faith, and it's just been encouraging for us to talk with you. I know this has been beneficial to our audience. So, man, thank you again for being here today. Appreciate both you guys, man, very much. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to 0to5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-5000.com.